one of the things that this podcast aims to do is to share my experiences, things that went right, things that went wrong, so that a fellow writer or a future writer can learn from them, but also so that I can track and account for these lessons that I've learned and apply them to my next body of work. What's going on, folks? Welcome to the Spun Today podcast, the only podcast that is anchored in writing, but unlimited in scope. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz, and I appreciate you listening. This is episode 230 of the Spun Today podcast, and it is a free writing session episode. Shout out to my fellow writers and creatives out there. In this episode, I'll be sharing my February 2023 writing stats, an update to my soon to be published, knock on wood short story anthology. I share a writing tip that resonated with me and I hope that you all can draw something from it as well. I tell you a little bit about what I've been reading and lastly share an older free writing piece of my own. Stick around for all that good stuff but first I want to tell you all about a way that you can help support the Spun Today podcast if you so choose. Supporting this podcast means a ton. I appreciate each and every one of you that have or will take the time to express and show your support in the myriad of ways that you're able to do so. And this is just one of those ways. Please stick around through that. It'll be greatly appreciated. And then we will jump right into the episode. If you're a fellow creative, a cool way that you can help support the Spun Today podcast and actually be part of the podcast is by filling out my five question questionnaire located at spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. Here you'll find five open questions related to your craft, your art, what inspires you to create, what type of unrelated hobbies you're into, and what motivates you to get your work done. You can choose to remain anonymous or plug your website and your work. And once you submit your questionnaire, I read your responses on a future episode of the Spun Today podcast. It's completely free at no cost to you. And what I like to say about it is that if your responses could potentially spark inspiration in someone else, why not share that? spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. My writing stats for February 2023 break down to a whopping 28.6%. I only wrote eight out of the 28 days of the month. And spoiler alert, March is not looking too much better thus far unless I finish off the month strong. We'll keep you posted on that during the next free writing session episode. Now switching gears to what I've been working on. Like I mentioned to you guys during the last free writing session episode, the one prior to this one, my main creative focus is around publishing my first short story anthology. I told you guys a bit about each story that's going to be in there. It's going to be eight stories and broke those down a bit, as well as the fact that this is my first work that is being professionally edited. My prior books, I self-edited by leveraging editing tools that I picked up on through books and blog posts and podcasts, whether it be interviews with the actual editors and taking a deep dive into their processes, seeing what I could gleam there, or by listening to a podcast like the Story Grid podcast with Sean Coyne, etc. 
but this is definitely the first one that my first work that is going to be completely professionally edited, which has been by design for my, my own creative process. My, my first book, I wanted to do everything 100% from A to Z myself. It's kind of like the control freak aspect that I know other writers share. Then my second book, I wanted to explore or inject into that process rather getting a professional cover design which I did for my second book, and then everything else in terms of writing and editing, formatting, publishing, marketing was all me. And then in this third iteration of my th third uh, published work, I'm going to again carry forward that professional uh, cover design and implement this professional editing piece as well. And I know I've said this in the past, but that comes from a combination of most all, if not all, writers that I look up to and respect and are professional writers within their craft go through many levels of professional editing. And I saw that as the eventual goal, but had to reconcile that with the inherent nature of wanting to control the process in its entirety from beginning to end. Because from an objective perspective, that's the main way that I would learn why it's important, why it's necessary, also what exactly it is. Because we have kind of like a, or at least I did at first, but have like an uneducated perspective of what the editing process is. You know, it's kind of like I give you my work and then you just change all the words around. So technically kind of, it's kind of like you wrote it, but that's 100% not <laughs> what the editing process is. And again, you don't know that unless you actually go through it. And I wanted to have the personal frame of reference, not just everyone saying, you know, this is the route that you should take, but the personal frame of reference of this was my experience pre and post editing is my body of work prior to editing. This is my body of work post-editing. And so I can have that ability to differentiate between the two myself with first-hand experience. That was definitely important to me. So I'm in the middle of that process. And one of the first lessons that I've learned with editing is that you have to factor in the timeline of doing, or the time it takes rather, of doing the actual editing. So I initially had, again, this uneducated perspective of editing. And my goal was to publish this book in Q1 of 2023. And that first quarter ends March 31st. So I'm definitely not making that deadline. Lesson learned there. But again, one of the things that this podcast aims to do is to share my experiences, things that went right, things that went wrong so that a fellow writer or a future writer can learn from them, but also so that I can track and account for these lessons that I've learned and apply them to my next body of work. So when I'm writing the next book, I can look back to this piece of the process and say, okay, I initially assumed that this was going to be send the manuscript to the editor. They'll read through it, do all the spell checking and grammar corrections, etc send it back to me within a day or two, and then I'll be ready to publish. But that's definitely not what the process is. <laughs> so you have to account for that, uh, how long it takes, which again, I'm still in the process of. So I'll give you guys once I fully complete the process, full breakdown of how long everything actually took. But what I can tell you to date is like what I've done thus far. So first there's a selection process. So I started off with Joanna Penn's recommended list of editors. She has dozens on there. I started off there and I also looked up some editors independently 
then I went through a phase of, you know, checking out their websites, uh, books that they have worked on, any feedback I can find on them that's external from whatever they're promoting. Then I narrowed that down to ones that I would vibe with, or I felt that, that I would vibe with and like to work with. And then I reached out to them. And this is where I, from a timeline perspective, this was like my first, which seems obvious now, but my first uh, light bulb moment is that some of them are not available. Some of them are already pre-booked for like months worth of manuscripts. Some of them may not want to work with you because you kind of think, uh, or at least I did, you know, I'm requesting this editing service and I'm paying you for it. So obviously you're going to take the money, but that's not the case. Just like I, from my perspective, is, am not just going to go with like the cheapest option. And I am looking for certain, uh, obviously like the technical skills and aptitude and experience, but also intangible things like what types of work has that person, what, what type of books has that person worked on? What are they into? What are they like reading? How do we vibe and interact? Because we are going to be working together for a certain period of time. I want those like intangible things to be smooth. So they're not something that has to be worried about or like factored into the process. But similar to that, like mental math that I'm doing from an editor's perspective, they're doing that as well. Um, Cause that's what you do. Like you reach out to them and you send them uh, a sample that most of them usually have, you know, like send me your first chapter, send me the first 1500 words. They have whatever their requirements are for a sample. And you send that and some of them are just like, you know, they're not interested. They don't like the story or it's not the genre that they're used to editing. And you find that out in the beginning stages of, of this process. Then on the flip side, uh, you have ones that are like really eager to work with you for whatever reason, or like, like your premise, like your story so far. So then my list got narrowed down to those and then uh, factored in pricing, like I mentioned, then after factoring in their availability and when they'll be able to, to begin work on this particular manuscript, we moved forward to sample edits. And that's when they edit again, like your first chapter or your first 1500 words or whatever it is that they requested you to send them. They send you a sample of what you can expect if you choose to move forward with working with them. And then this is like the main input for me in making my determination because this is where you see, do they get my story? Are they, are we on like the same wavelength here creatively? What ideas do they have? And ultimately how they work, like from a practical perspective. And I'll circle back to that in a second, uh, just to break down a couple things, takeaways for myself. And then after that, you agree to, to work with, with whoever you choose. They send you over a contract, final pricing, and the timeline of when you should be expecting uh, responses by. And that ties into a, a step I, I skipped actually is the type of editing that you're looking for because there are uh, several different types of editing. I'm going through uh, line editing is what I was looking for, AKA copy editing. And every editor might have a, a slightly different definition to the services, the types of services that, that they provide. And that's something that I read into when, you know, visiting and, and I learned from visiting like all their websites and reading through the fine details of what they provide, what they don't provide. And the line editing or copy editing that I'm going through is definitely cleaning up grammar, sentence structure, wording issues, big picture issues related to story and plot and character development, making sure that your story follows a logical progression from the reader's perspective. They dive into your setting to make sure it's clear throughout the story. The point of view of the characters is their, is their head hopping going on. And if so, is that intentional or is there like a narrative uh, break there? And that's where they do the bulk of their work, right? Like that portion of it. 
uh, right before that step, they standardize the, the manuscript in terms of formatting. Now, what this does to make sure that it's in the most universal language that all the like publishing platforms are going to be able to, to take cleanly. Um, so, for example, you do the editing back and forth in uh, Microsoft Word. I believe it's New Times uh, Roman for, uh, font, single spaced. So they remove all the double spaces, which is what I usually write with. I believe it's 11 or 12 inch font. And then this is going to be completely legible when I pull it back into after I finish like all the editing, when I pull it back into Scrivener, which is where I write and or when I whenever I like export the file to the different publishing platforms like Amazon for Kindle, Kobo, Apple Books, my paperback is going to be slightly different, etc. But when these transfers are taking place, standardizing the format make sure that it stays in that format in all these different pl platforms instead of like when you load it into a specific software then like the spacing changes you got paragraphs and indents that weren't there before and like stuff like that you avoid that type of thing by standardizing the format in the beginning and it's also what editors and agents and publishers expect to see files in so that's something else that they take care of and another service of the editors provide is final proofreading which in and of itself takes like a, a full business week. And that's just when like all the editing takes place, all the back and forth that you'll do with the editor. They do the final proofread to cross every T, dot every I prior to publishing. And editors, again, have different services. There's like a developmental editing that you can sign up for. That's more so for if you have like a really like a first draft of something you just want to send to an editor and say, help me piece this together. These are a shitload of ideas that I threw up onto a piece of paper. But the line editing phase is like when you get it to the point where, for example, like my second book, where you get it to the point where you would slash could publish it as is, but obviously going through the editing process would, would help, would help to enhance it all. And just from a practical perspective, what you can expect editors to do is Again, one, keep in mind that everything that they edit is a suggestion. I mean, they do first off follow a specific style guide, a market style guide. That's like the framework of everything that they're going to be applying as far as grammar and punctuation, etc. And in this case, uh, this editor uses the U.S. English Chicago Manual of Style. And different territories and areas are, are going to have like their version of but that's mainly for like the sentence, you know, technical structure stuff. What I'm referring to as completely optional are, although those things are technically optional too, because if you don't want to follow the right way to write an ellipses or whatever, you don't have to. But what you should expect to see to get back when you send them your manuscript is they're going to send it back exactly what you sent them in Microsoft Word. And then it's going to have what's called track, track changes on the, down the right hand side, which are notes from the editor uh, pointing to specific sections or a specific word or a specific sentence with their suggestions. And I'll give you one example. I had a dingus mark in between two scenes. And what that is, is when there's going to be a scene change, but you don't necessarily want to write out or feel you need to write out that transitional period, you use what's called a dingus mark. It, it's meant to signify like a passage in time. Like for example, if you're writing a story and the characters in your story are going on a 15 hour flight. You don't have to write 15 hours worth of scenes that happen on the plane unless it's, you know, imperative or important to your story or your plot or whatever you're trying to tell. 
in a case like that, you would put, you know, we boarded flight in JFK, Dingus Mark. When we exited Heathrow Airport in London, blah, blah, blah. And that'll be like the next scene. So I used a Dingus Mark between two scenes and the editor recommended and highlighted the fact that that those two particular scenes could have been bridged easily with a sentence or two. And that the Dingus Mark itself or page break, aka, is more so to indicate big changes in POV or time, like I mentioned before with the like the airplane example or location, etc. But in my case, it was like a conversation with one person mentioning that they were going to call somebody. And then the next scene, quote unquote, is them on the phone with that other person. So instead of using a dingus mark there, based on that suggestion, I wrote an additional sentence walking the reader through that piece of the process of going into the other room, looking up a number and calling someone, etc. So that's one example. Another example, which I got from a different editor, was something that I just like completely overlooked which was in one of my stories, there's a scene where a group of friends gets trapped in a, in a specific area and essentially held hostage. And based on the fact that the story is taking place in modern day, the editor mentioned that they would have tried calling somebody. Like they would have tried, you know, pulling up their cell phones, calling the cops, something. But I had like zero reference to that. And in my mind, subconsciously, I guess uh, I'm kind of like they're in this you know, fortified and closed space, like their phones just aren't working. But from a reader's perspective, that's that's definitely a big hole. Like I could definitely see that, like see me watching a movie or something and being like, why didn't any of them just like text somebody or try calling somebody and giving them like their location. So things like that, the editor will pick up on and suggest, and then you as the writer go and write that type of scene or sequence into your story. And I'll give you guys one more example. There's a, a restaurant scene where the folks are like meeting by the bar, by the, the hostess area. And then I just jumped to somebody questioning the number of seats at a table, but I didn't transition them to that table. So from the reader's perspective, they're like all standing by the hostess. So how could they be questioning how many seats are at the table where they're going to be having dinner if they haven't walked there yet? Or at least I haven't shown them walking there yet. So they catch things like this, you write it in. And again, you view their suggestions, you, you take what you want to take, you decline what you want to decline. Um, in these this uh, track changes area, you have the ability to write back and you know question their suggestion, or maybe they read something in a way that you didn't intend, and you can let them know what you meant by it. You know, it's a, a place to have uh, dialogue and feedback with them within these specific track changes, and then you send the manuscript back, and then they go through your changes, they send back again, and it's usually like two or three pass-throughs of this process, going back and forth before your editing is complete. And then you move on to the next phase of editing. If you have a, a next phase, in my case would be the proofreading, so on and so forth. But yeah, I'm definitely excited to continue going through uh, this editing process and sharing with you guys uh, what I learned. Something else that I like is that these are all, and a lot of them highlight this, rightfully so, uh, a lot of the editors, these are all tools and tips that you can take with you as you work on you know, subsequent work, and it makes you that sh much stronger of a writer. You'll obviously never catch everything from the writing perspective. You're busy in creating a, a certain world. You're looking at it through a different lens than an editor, but it definitely strengthens your manuscript before getting to the editing phase, eliminates the need for developmental editing, which lowers your cost. And the more you can lower that, the better it is for you, right? You can apply those funds elsewhere, whether it be marketing or cover design, etc. 
and try to sell more books. But yeah, I'll definitely tell you guys more about that process as I continue to progress through it. But the main takeaway is that you can no longer expect my short story anthology to be published by the end of Q1, but rather look out for it during Q2. The writing tip I want to share with you guys today is from one of my favorites, Stephen Pressfield. It's a blog post from May 2022 titled, Write the Big Moment Big. And this is from his Writing Wednesdays series, which is something you can sign up for completely for free, where he shares tidbits and perspectives like these. A link to it in the episode notes for you guys to check out. And this is a short post, so I'm just going to read through it. He wrote, I have a friend who runs a very successful literary agency in Los Angeles. She represents screenwriters. I asked her once, is there any single mistake your writers make, not in business or marketing, but in writing itself? She replied without hesitation, quote, when they come to the big scene, they chicken out, end quote. I asked her to elaborate. She says, quote, think about the she's my sister, she's my daughter scene in Chinatown, or the moment in The Godfather when Michael says, if Clemenza can figure a way to have a weapon planted for me, then I'll kill them both. Those are big moments. Both are central to their dramas. And in each one, the writers and directors held nothing back. They didn't underwrite. They didn't underplay. And both those moments are immortal. End quote. Then Stephen Pressfield continues. My friend said that her writers, and by extension, of course, all of us, tend to be risk averse in their stories, big moments. And his friend continued, quote, partly I think it's because they've been told that subtext is more powerful than text, or they're afraid that if they go balls out for emotion and the moment doesn't work, they'll look foolish. So they deliberately underwrite. They back off from having Carmela scream at Tony. I was in love with Furio. Or from Tony slamming his fist through the wall two inches from Carmela's face. End quote. And then Stephen Pressfield wraps up with, My friend said she routinely has to force her writers to revisit their big moments and be brave enough to take the risk of really going for it. I confess when I heard that, my blood ran a little cold. I thought, am I doing that? And of course I am. And for the same reasons that my friend cited. Memo to self. Don't chicken out next time. Write the big moment. And I wanted to share that as... The writing tip for this episode because of course i relate to it directly as depicted and written out there but i also want to take that idea and concept of not checking it out and going balls to the wall going for it and apply it to writing the story itself not checking out from writing that next short story not checking out from embarking on a new unknown editing process not checking out from publishing your work not checking out from getting that next piece of work out and then moving on to the next and taking on your next novel or whatever it is and happens to be for you. And that blog post again is called Write the Big Moment Big by Stephen Pressfield. And I'll link to it in the episode notes for you guys to check out. What I've been reading, I'm going to share four different books that my, that my ADD-ness has been swirling around, but I'm not taking a deep dive on either one for different reasons, which I'll share with you now. First up is The Writing Life by Annie Dillard, which I have referenced in the past. I might circle back to doing a complete deep dive on, but for now, there have just been like a handful of 
things that I've taken away, one of which actually was a writing tip that I shared in a previous pre-writing session episode, but I just don't have the one. I, I haven't finished it. Two, I don't have the breadth of takeaways that I normally have from the books that I normally take a deep dive on and share a bunch of takeaways with you guys on. But I may or may not circle back to that one. Then I read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams, which is a famous, renowned bestseller. I personally didn't love it. Um, I didn't hate it or think it was bad or anything. And personally, if I did, I probably wouldn't even mention it. So I try to make it a point not to, you know, do the whole shitty review thing. Like, who the fuck am I to criticize, especially such an established writer and book? But also just from the perspective of that, I understand one, how hard it is to write a book just to put yourself out there like that. And two, it, it's an art. It's all a matter of perspective and it's all subjective. What I might love, you might hate and vice versa. So being objective in that sense, there just, again, weren't as many takeaways as I would normally have to do a deep dive uh, little segment on. But I did read that. Um, in the middle of reading The Creative Act, A Way of Being by Rick Rubin. This is a book I've been super, super anticipating since he was uh, making his rounds in podcast world. He was on Rogan a few months back and actually pre-ordered it then. Rick Rubin has always been, at least for me, like one of those, like when they say that thought experiment thing of if you could have a dinner party with anyone dead or alive, who would it be? Name five people, et cetera, like something like that. Rick Rubin is one of those folks on that list. And I try to like listen to his interviews and stuff like that whenever he does them. There's something almost like ethereal and like mystic about him that I definitely gravitate towards and and hold him to, to a high regard. And obviously I'm into the topic of writing and creativity and the philosophy behind applying lessons that you take from one area or one thing that you do to other aspects of your life. And I'm like a quarter to halfway through it and already have a shitload of takeaways to share. So when I do finish it, that's definitely going to be a deep dive one that I'll be sharing with you fine folks. And lastly, I got Stephen Pressfield's latest memoir, Government Cheese, which I have not started yet, but that's next on the list right after Rick Rubin's The Creative Act. I actually got a, a signed copy and it was a, a dope presentation that he has, which I shared on Instagram and Facebook. If you guys want to check that out at Spun Today, so you guys can see like the box that it came in and the different things that came with with the book, like a cool little notebook in the form of a trucker's writing log, which he used to be, and a couple other cool takeaways. And I'm sure that one's going to have a bunch of takeaways as well that I would share with you fine folks when that time comes. And that is what I've been reading. The free writing session that I'll be sharing with you today to wrap up the show is titled Your Inability to Earn It is the Only Obstacle. And you can find that in the free writing section of my website, spuntray.com forward slash free writing. I posted it to the actual site on December 11th, 2018, but I wrote the actual piece on Thursday, July 9th, 2015. And here's what I said then. Let's see if it holds up in any way, shape or form, which I doubt. The expectation of excellence is dangerous. You're not owed anything. It's not coming to you while you sit around and wait for it. Snap out of it before you let it all slip away. It really is yours for the taking as long as you're willing to take it. Your inability to earn it is the only obstacle in your way. 
I think Ryan Holiday might have something to say to that. <laughs> Shout out to The Obstacle Is The Way by Ryan Holiday. Then I continue to write, that obstacle can come from an endless array of different colors and sizes, shapes and textures, but it all boils down to the same thing, the same root cause. First, break down the mental walls confining you from your destination. Realize that those walls that built up into an intricate labyrinth of life experiences are there because you put them there. Take that burden off of your shoulders. Now you can begin your work. Now you can begin to be excellent. Now you can begin to be you. And again, I wrote that on Thursday, July 9th, 2015 at 12.03 a.m. You know, one immediate takeaway that I have when I am reading back on these things and kind of like psychoanalyzing myself is that some of these cringe-worthy sentences like there at the end, now you can begin to be excellent. Now you can begin to be you. These are in part me trying to psych myself out and trying to encourage myself to stop being a bitch and put out this work, whether it be this specific piece, whether it was around that time, 2015, trying to figure out how to self-publish my first book, Make Way For You, which is chock full of these types of free writing pieces. So even though cringeworthy at times, at least in my perspective, they serve the purpose of getting me from that point to this point, which I'm happy to be in and having to continue to learn and grow and obviously not anywhere near where I want to be in terms of being an actual accomplished writer, because that in and of itself is like a, a lifelong pursuit, right? It's not like an attainable thing, at least from my perspective. So wherever I fall on anyone's interpretation or scale of success or my own different barometers for that become secondary but i guess i just say that to say that we all have to start somewhere right and if stuff like this thoughts and sayings like this help nudge you in the direction that you want to ultimately be going in as it has for me then that's awesome i like and still agree with the sentiment behind you're not owed anything and it's not coming to you while you sit around and wait for it i'm a firm believer in working hard and earning your keep and earning what you get i actually don't want anything that i don't earn there was a couple things here in the middle that I didn't like as I was reading it. Uh, oh yeah, like that your inability to earn it is the only obstacle in your way. I wouldn't agree with that now. There's always going to be different obstacles, obstacles that you don't even know of as obstacles, whether it be within the craft itself, little obstacles like, for example, like we were speaking about earlier in terms of editing and timeline and external things like that, that you don't account for because you don't just literally don't know but obviously and most importantly obstacles in life that are going to bleed into whatever plans you have and put in place so it's not just a matter of the inability to earn it as i said there i did mention i guess although i don't like that the word choice there that an obstacle can come in an endless array of different colors and sizes shapes and textures if i was rewriting that today i would definitely try to use a different uh sentence scheme there different word choices and i don't agree with that piece of it all boiling down to the same singular root cause because you could have multiple root causes for different issues different obstacles different problems and also multiple different types of solutions for the same problem which i guess is a, a different perspective to look at this through i did like however to end on a positive note the sentence stating they should realize that those walls 
that built up into an intricate labyrinth of life experiences. I would have rephrased that a little bit, but I like the like the wordplay there. I would have written today that the intricate labyrinth of life experiences make up those walls that you built up. But I like highlighting the fact that they're there because you put them there. And it gives you that sense of responsibility and agency in what it is that you do. But yeah, those are my takeaways from this free writing piece, which again is titled Your Inability to Earn It is the Only Obstacle. You can find it at sponsorday.com forward slash free writing. Again, posted on December 11th, 2018. And I will link to it in the episode notes for you guys to check out. And that, folks, is episode 230 of the Sponsor Day podcast. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this episode. It is much appreciated. I want to leave you all with a few different ways you can help support the Sponsor Day podcast if you so choose. Your support means everything. It is very much so appreciated. Please stick around for all that good stuff. And I will check you all out in the next episode. Peace. What's up, folks? Tony here. I hope you're enjoying this podcast as much as I enjoy producing it for you. Here are a few quick ways you can help support this show. You can support the Spun Today podcast by going to spuntoday.com forward slash support. There you'll find my merch section where you can cop the iconic podcasts versus anybody t-shirt in a wide variety of different colors and all different sizes. Also, if you're into cycling, you can cop the super soft, comfortable, minimalist design Spun Today Bike Club t-shirt. Also available in a bunch of different colors and all different sizes. There are a few other designs of different types of t-shirts. Definitely go there and check it out. SpunToday.com forward slash support. It's the merch section where you can also get a dope coffee mug. I have coffee mugs with the brand new redesigned Spun Today logo on one side and the tagline that I end every show with on the other which is start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. The mug is available in both black and white because we don't discriminate here at the Spun Today podcast. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash support and check out the merch section. You can support the Spun Today podcast by checking out my writing. You can go to spuntoday.com forward slash free writing and check out some of my free association writing, which is intended to be some cathartic free writing, but oftentimes doubles down as motivation for myself and others. At spuntoday.com forward slash short stories, you can read a bunch of the different short stories that I've written and actually listen to the audiobook versions of those short stories there as well. Another way you can help support my writing is by going to spuntoday.com forward slash books and checking out what I have in store for sale. Digital copies are available in all formats, whether it be Kindle, iBooks, or a different type of e-reader. You can also purchase paperback copies if that's your preferred reading method. Currently available, I have my nonfiction, Make Way For You, which is a collection of freely written thoughts that were curated and put together as tips for getting out of your own way. Also available is my debut time travel novel titled Fractal. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash books to show your support. Support the Spun Today podcast by following me on social at Spun Today on Twitter, at Spun Today on Instagram. Please also check out and like my Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Spun Today, and subscribe to my YouTube page as well. On my YouTube page, not only will you get these full length episodes, but you'll also get to check out some chopped up clips and bonus content. To get to my YouTube page, just search Spun Today on YouTube 
or click on any of the YouTube icons on the footer of my website. Also, don't forget to rate and review this podcast wherever it is that you're listening. It really does help. The Sponsor Day newsletter is available to each and every one of my listeners absolutely for free. All you have to do is go to sponsorday.com forward slash subscribe and drop in your email address. What I'm going to do is brighten up everybody's least favorite day of the week by delivering five curated things within my weekly newsletter every Monday at noon. You're going to receive a photo of the week, a recommended podcast of the week. I listen to tons of podcasts from an array of varied interests. I cherry pick the very best ones so that you can check them out. I also share a video of the week, which can be anything from a tasty recipe to a dope rap battle to an enlightening TED talk. I also share a quote of the week. And finally, for my fellow wordsmiths out there, a word of the week so that you can step up your vocab. Again, this curated list is yours absolutely free by going to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and dropping in your email address and you can unsubscribe at any time. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe, drop in your email address, and you'll get the very next one. If you want to help support the Spun Today podcast financially, you can do so by going to spuntoday.com forward slash support. Here you'll find a few different ways that you can do so. You can shop on Amazon, but first go to my website, spuntoday.com forward slash support, click on the Amazon banner, which will take you to Amazon's website where you do your shopping like you normally do. It will not cost you anything extra, but I will get credit for driving traffic to their website. Another cool way that you can help support this show is through Patreon, where you can set up reoccurring donations to my podcast, whether it be $1 per show, $2 per show, etc. And depending on how much you choose to pledge, you will receive some Patreon perks in return. Things like free writing pieces, free bookmarks, free digital copies of my books, etc. Again, my Patreon link can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash support. You can also set up similar reoccurring payments via my Ko-fi page. And if you want to send a one-time happiness bomb donation, if you will, you can do so via my PayPal link. Again, all of which can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash support. If you're a fellow creative, a cool way that you can help support the Spun Today podcast and actually be part of the podcast is by filling out my five-question questionnaire located at spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. Here you'll find the five open questions related to your craft, your art, what inspires you to create, what type of unrelated hobbies you're into, and what motivates you to get your work done. You can choose to remain anonymous or plug your website and your work. And once you submit your questionnaire, I read your responses on a future episode of the Spun Today podcast. It's completely free at no cost to you. And what I like to say about it is that if your responses could potentially spark inspiration in someone else, why not share that? Spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. And as always, folks, substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. Thanks for listening. I love you, Aiden. I love you, Daddy. I love you, Grayson. I love you, Daddy.